Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado. Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full time, part time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. This is that time of the week here on the Blue Room where we bring you some of our favourite moments from the shows over on the Blue Room Extra. And this week we have got five different selections for you. We started off the week by speaking to Matt Cheatham, who provided the numbers from his Sky Sports database, all about Everton's performance against Tottenham Hotspur. In the clip coming up, he examined Southampton and what Everton can expect from them this weekend. We've also got a segment from Subs Weekly, where myself, Dave Downey and Conor O'Neill discuss VAR, Andre Gomez's injury, Son Heung-min's tackle and all sorts of other things. We've got the kickabout, where myself, Rob Vera and Keith Tomlin had a chat about Anything, as we do on that show in the main uh, NFL, players having certain auras. And we also spoke about footballers' hairstyles in the clip coming up. In our weekend preview show, we had a chat with Ben Stanfield from the Total Saints podcast. He obviously provided us with a lowdown on what to expect from Saints on Saturday too. And we finished the week off with Mailbag, and that was Les Roberts hosting, along with Matt Flusk and Jack Carlisle. Here's your segments from some of your week's Best moments from the Blue Room Extra. Just a note for those of you who don't tune into the Blue Room Extra on a regular basis, these clips might contain some expletive language. I have to say, Matt, I'm a little bit worried about this one because after that 9-0 Shellican, they seem to have got a bit of spirit back, a bit of belief back. And while they were defeated by Manchester City twice this week, it seems as though the manager and the players and the fans have taken half from, from both performances. Yeah, it's such a such a big game. I mean, it's almost unthinkable for Silva to lose this and potentially be in the relegation zone ahead of the international break. Um, and yeah, as you say, they'll, they'll surely be really dialed in on this, having had to travel to City twice in a week. They Southampton have a, a horrendous record of losing points once they go ahead, the most by miles since the start of last season. So this might be the one game that all is not quite <laughs> lost if we do concede first. I'm just trying to find some positives here. Um Stylistically, they they press loads. Their pressing numbers are right up, up among the the leading teams in those categories this season. Only Man City and Liverpool have won more high turnovers this season, um, and they're right there for pressed sequences as well. So, if we can pass through that, which might fall on Tom Davies now, then I'm kind of hopeful that might lead to a little bit more space and opportunity in the final third. Though if we don't, it's going to be a long day. But it's just I've, you kind of have this image of a lot of our recent away games where 
there's a low block in front of us and we've just failed to to do anything really to kind of get in on goal. So maybe it might be a little bit different in that regard. Just very quickly on those those pressing numbers, Matt, I don't know if you've got evidence there, but it, it's felt as though whenever we spoke in the past about Everton under Silver that we've been really high up in those those categories yeah. as well. I mean, is, has there been a, a downturn over the last few weeks in regards to Everton's work off the ball? A, l- a little bit in the last few weeks, but pretty much based on the Man City and Tottenham game. As a whole, Silvers tend to press against everyone apart from the top teams kind of after that Tottenham game last season when I think he tried to press and it went spectacularly wrong mm. and then he kind of set up very differently against those top six guys but Everton have been, always under Silva been there or thereabouts in the pressing categories the one thing that I kind of bite my tongue about a little bit when I see on social media is that doesn't necessarily mean you're a good team it's just kind of your style you've still got to then do everything else sure. to win a football game um, so yeah they've still I, I imagine they'll still be keen to do that in any other fixture against uh, a side from those against top six sides. It's, it just feels as though, and it, it goes back to the, the Michael Keane thing discussion we were having last week, where it just feels as though we are not big enough to make much of a fuss about any of these things, but almost big enough to make an example of, so that the, the powers that be can go, look, we're implementing these things and we're, we're doing it to Everton. We've got players there in a big game and we're, we're doing this and we're doing that. Mm. And Everton are just going, all right, sound, yeah. And the ideal club for it, Matt, because, yeah. we're, we're, like you say, I don't think we're important enough to be considered as somebody you would you would fear making that decision against, but also with a club that are big enough to be able to use as an example here. It's not like you're doing it to Sheffield United, with all due respect to them, mm. uh, or you're not, you're not doing it to brighten themselves, are you? Because you think, well... Doesn't really have much of an impact here. It, bo- it boils back to the Nias uh, retrospective punishment mm. as well. And the Neville Southall, the Neville Southall six second rule. Of course, we were the first the ever team to get done, get done course, for that. Yeah, yeah which absolutely. Never happened really ever again after yeah, that. Yeah, and uh, we we are the guinea pigs for such things, aren't we? Um, the problem I have is um, a little bit slightly further afield, but still related to the point you're making. Richarlison's theatrics do my head in. I can't stand them. The minute he goes down, I am one of the dars shouting, get up. <laughs> I am one of those people. You're the fellow who sat behind Paul Joyce I, in the fresh box. That fella remonstrating, saying, get on with the game, get up. Because he hasn't won uh, the free kick. That said, he's in that game, it was blatantly obvious to me, and this is why Martin Atkinson should be talked to about this, or at the very least, you know, told of his responsibilities as, as a referee. And that is effectively to protect players. Richarlison, in some instances, is really strong and he, he shields off challenges that would otherwise put other players down. That needs to be mentioned too. But refereeing, in context, is a joke. I don't know if you lads will remember this, but many years ago, Everton went and played a Highbury and Duncan Ferguson come on as a substitute. This is early 2000s, I think, when he come back for the second time. And... He comes on as a sub, referee blows his whistle, signals to the, the, the bench to let him on. Linesman's standing there. He enters the field of play. I'm almost certain it was Steve Bennett. And what he does is he, he shouts at the linesman and points his finger to his eye and then points at Duncan Ferguson as if to say, keep an eye on him. That's refereeing in context. That is, by all intents and purposes, that is cheating. And what Martin Atkinson did this weekend, he used the reputation of a player 
to justify every single decision against them, and I mean every single one. I've looked back at this game. He doesn't give one one decision to Richarlison all day long, and he's done that because he's got a preconception of what Richarlison is as a footballer. You can tell me how that is by any in any way a fair way to officiate a match. Every and, and I understand the human instinct is when you see Richarlison running with the ball and somebody comes in and clatters him, but possibly takes the ball. In your head, you're thinking, I'm gone. the likelihood is he's gone down like a sack of potatoes here when he hasn't had to. I understand that. That's just instinctiveness. That is human nature. The problem I have with all of it is he does not judge the incidents with an objective mind. And that is what's so damaging in this whole situation because ultimately, and, and this is where people are arguing to me and say, well, Richardson just should, should just not do it. I completely agree. I've just explained I don't want him to do it. But it doesn't matter. It should not matter to a referee. It shouldn't matter whatsoever to a referee if they're doing their job properly and they see Richarlison go down in a heap and think, oh, well, you know, he's made a lot of that, but it's still a foul. It's still a foul. That is black and white, still a foul. Yet he'd favour. And somebody pointed out to me that he spoke to one of the Tottenham players saying, and he lip reads, and he says he's done that five times or something like that. Mm. Well, if he's done it five times, assess each and every blood, every bloody one of those decisions. Has he been fouled? Yes, he's been fouled. Has he gone down like a sack of potatoes? Yes. Irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. He's been fouled, so it's mm. a foul. Other side of that coin, if he's dived, book him. Because mm. he won't do it again. Well, that's, or he's that's, less likely to well, do well, it well, again. Well, that's, that's, that's the instant with Son, isn't it? Because if it, with Son... It's so it's, simple. It's, it's either it's a dive so or a foul. Yeah. Because there's no way on earth Mina gets the ball... Tackling him yeah. in that in the position is it's near on impossible for me to get the ball, so he either fouls him or he dives. So to just wait, play on and say, well, it's neither. We're not supposed to be one. It's supposed to be one or the other. You can't, yeah. can't, you can't, you can't have it where it's not. Or we'll just, yeah. we'll just play on because I'm not. But I just think with, with Martin Atkinson, there's, there's there's a conception of reputation. I think I think Dave is right, and I think. Many referees do it. It's not just him, but yeah. he, he was he was uh, that was atrocious that on Sunday. He completely lost the plot and bottled it by saying in his head straight away, Richarlison, no foul. Richarlison, no foul. Didn't even look at the decisions. Mm. And the irony in it all is, you've got Anthony Taylor sitting there in a VAR studio, could flag any of these up and say, you've got that wrong. There's a monitor at the side of the pitch you can check mm. as well. Complete shithouse. I think just that is the problem with VAR, yeah. is that it seems, except for Everton, there's a real reluctance for referee for people in that truck to say to the referee, "You've got that one wrong there." I'm sorry, but we're going to have to overrule you and give a foul. Or you know, I mean, you look at Liverpool against Man United the week. And I'm not saying there probably is a foul on Origi in the build-up to Rashford's goal. There probably is because it is very hard for Lindelof to cleanly get the ball in a position he is in. The reason that's not given is because whoever was on VAR duty at Stockley Park has thought. I don't want to throw my mates under the bus, mm-hmm. yeah. Because mm-hmm. if I throw them under the bus, yeah, it's Liverpool Man United, the biggest game in the Premier League, Old Trafford, you know, millions of watchers on TV. If I overrule them, yeah, I'm throwing them under the bus and I'm probably going to get him demoted next week. And he's my mate, yeah. I don't, and I don't yeah. want to do that. He's my work, you know, he's my mate. And I imagine that the referees are quite in it together. They're a strong course, unit. Yeah, they will be. Because, be because there's only them, there's only they've, they've got to. And I think, I think it's quite interesting that Mark Clattenberg seems to have some interesting views on VAR. Now, Mark Clattenberg, don't get me wrong, was one of the worst but he was a referee who wasn't in that click if you yeah. read back now he was the lone ranger who sort of said well I don't really care about being in the click because I'm going to do my own thing 
And I think it's quite interesting his views on it are he said something similar after the Liverpool game saying there'll, there'll be a reluctance from referees to, to put the mate to put the mate out there. You and see I, that with Dermot Gallagher on that and 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 exactly, yeah. and that is what's happening because there's a there's a there's a reluctance now of people thinking that referees are thinking I don't want to pull my mate on. What they should be saying to him, this is where it needs. They should be saying you've got it wrong. Ghost the monitor yourself and have a look, yes, yeah. and and make it and make. Yeah. So then you're not throwing them under the bus and saying yeah. I'm overruling you. I'm going to give a penalty because you got it wrong. You're advising your mate and saying Absolutely. you made a mistake there. Go and rectify it. Yeah. Like, like we would, like any of us would do in where you know if you your mate who sits next to you, you, you don't cross them up to the boss. You, you say you, you don't, don't have you, a look you, at that. You don't yeah. flag it. You, you just send give them a nod and say there's a typo there or there's this or there's that, and it gets you rectify it. It's done. Absolutely. That's what you need to come. To, we need to come to some common sense. Yeah. Solution because at the minute you've got a system in place that is meant to improve football, which is it's killing it. It's ah, I mean, I was at Goodison on Saturday and I felt like a lifetime that I look that the game wasn't great, but it felt like I was there for a lifetime. It was the longest match, I think, in yeah. of the season, wasn't it? Minutes wise, etc. And we've got a a, a referee and, a, and and his mates who were in charge who won't, who won't, who've got each other's back basically. And the problem we've got is, is that until they come to some sort of solution, which I think is they not start looking at the monitor themselves, referee, and overruling it. We're going to keep carrying on like this because it will take a braver. I know Mason done it with the penalty against Brighton, but I think when it really matters most, it will take a brave referee to say that's not that's not a penalty. Mm-hmm. And I think this don't get me wrong, this is not just happening in the Premier League. I think that's the Super Cup final where you know Tammy Abraham goes down under the, the challenge of Adrian, mm-hmm. and he dived. The referee gave a penalty. It was the first female. Referee to to a, a European, you know, super yeah. final as, as they say, she gave a penalty. Now, realistically, that, the VAR referee on duty that night should have ruled that out. Should have said he's dived there. He put he's put his foot into the goalkeeper and got over. But they won't because there's a reluctance of we don't want to throw, we don't want to throw, don't want to throw me colleague under the bus. Mm. So until we come to some sort of solution, we're going to have this week in week out. And for me, sadly, we are at the brunt of it. But going back to Marco Silva, he needs to use the press. And go on a one, even if it's a one man crusade himself, and come out and start hitting out and saying, We're, we're being that off, I'm not happy because everyone else would do it. Anyone else in our position, they'd do it. Anyone else would. So he's got anything to lose at this point, exactly. Yeah. You know, Mike Riley's you know, meeting I, with the, uh, the teams this week, isn't yeah. he? You know, he needs to really sort of stand up, he needs to stand up for himself and the club because he's being had off on a week, he's had been mad off himself, so he, he needs to stand up. And you know, you need someone at the club maybe to, to advise him and say. Look, Marco, I think maybe now is the time to say in the screw and, you know, yeah. dangle a few carrots and say, well, you know what? Because the, the, the beauty of it is now for Silver is, if he comes out and absolutely hammers it and puts numerous flaws in it, people will back him. Because you all look at the ex-pros now, you know, yeah. it's a Carragher, your Neville's, they're all saying, enough's enough now, just get rid of it. Yeah. We can't take it anymore, you know. So people will back his corner. He's not going to be fighting by himself. So I think, for me, he's missed a massive, massive PR trick to, to kind of stand up for himself, the club, and get the back of a whole host of people from the footballing world. Speaking of that Harvey Elliott, somebody needs to get a fucking grip of him and take him to the barbers and sort that head out, because what oh, the fuck is yeah. he doing? It is. He's, got about, he's got about six haircuts and they're all fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it he's is. He's got a high fade, he's got a top knot and a ponytail, he's got a fucking line shaved in his eye. What is he fucking playing at? I struggled to get. What's his mum and dad doing? I've struggled in the past to get attention. Annoyed about footballers' haircuts, but that one, I have to say, (laughs) maybe maybe I've just maybe I've just reached at the age of being a a peak Everton dar, and all of a sudden they're annoying me a little bit. But that one, like you said, it is like 
imagine what what must it look like in the morning when he gets up and he's not had it tied up. It must just be absolutely, you know. Somebody with, with but it relative. must take a level of work to make it look that shitty in some weird way, right? Like, that's well, like, a lot of effort to maintain all those different. It's it's like a painting with six different ideas going mm. on, you know, and it just ends up being shit. But I I don't know. Like, is I I see that I, I notice that whenever you're dealing with the like the under twenty threes, like I, I notice there are a lot of bad haircuts in that age group, and I don't know if that's an ironic thing or if it's just that like they clearly can't afford haircuts you know a competent hair like do you guys are barbers such a rare commodity over there that that you can't like they they charge you know 40 pounds for a basic haircut (laughs) and so no one is so people are like well i can't afford that i'd rather eat today uh so i'm gonna i'm just gonna kind of shave my eyebrows myself and <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like, this, like it just now the other side of this, though, is that there is a lot of I've noticed that there's a lot of same what I call same haircut in the Premier League. Like, I feel like every every basic white dude in the Premier League has the same, you know, coiffed haircut style that is Whatever Gilfie's trying to do with this comb over, but they have more hair so they can pull it off. <laughs> yeah. so, like, it's- so you've got Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, James Madison. James um, Madison, yeah. What's Six- his name? The centre half at Spurs. Um, Alderweireld. Alderweireld. They have all got an identical haircut. Yeah. James and Madison. Is like identical. Is there like a machine that they install at all the Premier League training grounds to just <laughs> stick your head in and you've got, here's Premier League ha- haircut? Or it's like the idea that, well, look, guys, it's going to make it a lot easier for us to put you on FIFA 20 if your haircuts are, you know, relatively uniform. James Madison is know. definitely going bald, though, and he's used, he's doing his to cut to cover up the, the bald spot he's got at the side. And I, he, I, he is a, he is a bald denier. Yeah, he, I feel like uh, he, I feel like everything he does is overcompensating for the fact that he's going bald. Like even his extravagant free kick and corner taking technique, those mad photos he had the other week. It's like it's like he's trying to cram in all the extravagance into his life over these next few years before it, it does eventually start to go. Because his his comb over, if you look at him properly. Is, oh, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, it's it's very guilty like that comb over. Do, do you not think he's just trying to cover up the ball, though, Rob? He might be. I mean, you, I, I see. I see how you're you're asking me that question as if I would know. Well, you, I'm asking uh, you. You've you clearly got a picture of him in front of you now. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I felt that that was kind of a targeted bald question since I'm bald. But yeah, I. I think so. Like, look, psychologically speaking, and granted, I'm talking to two guys who have all their hair, but you know, for when you start going bald, it's you go through the full twelve stages. Is it twelve stages? I don't know. Whatever the stages that involve lots of weird denial and taking med- medications and or topical solutions to try to keep your hair and or weird hair gels and comb overs like everyone goes through a period of denial where they think that that's the solution and have at some you, point have you tried demoxinil rob is I'm that what you're trying, trying to tell us <laughs> i tried so in my when i was uh so i started losing it around i remember around age 26 
26, I think, 26, 27. And I tried whatever. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Because I had, like, I'll show you guys, I'll send you guys a photo of me at at age uh, 18. Um, I had gorgeous, gorgeous hair. I mean, I was really hunky back then. But you know what it is? It's like (laughs) I I tried the the topical solution stuff. I, I forget what it was even called back then with the idea that, you know, you would either keep your hair or some would grow back, but it never really worked. And eventually like it only took me getting, it it only took me going out and, you know, just getting properly laid one night. And I looked in the mirror the next day and I was like, that girl didn't give a fuck about my hair or my lack of hair. (laughs) You know what? That was my moment. Like everyone has their moment. And I realized like, I don't care. Like, no one gives a shit. And then, then I saw, then I, then of course Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction came into my life, and I'm like, nah, man, I can be bald. Fuck that. I'm, a, I'm cool. I can deal with it. I've, I'm 40, man. I've been bald for like a good 13, 12, 13 years. I've just had time to get used to it. But I will say in the Premier League, it must be weird because, you know, there just aren't a lot of like, who are the great bald? Play- like, I feel like the bald player is a real, real rare thing now i mean cambiasso they're they're okay cambiasso <laughs> is a brilliant bald player but there there just aren't many of them is my point it's a quantity thing whereas i feel like there used to be more um they all got you know, hair transplants I, and stuff like me now i thought Andy johnson was just fine he was bald you know <laughs> i mean it didn't, didn't seem to affect him i tell you the nine the 90s were a uh, a heyday for bald footballers. There were some <laughs> cracking bald footballers in the nineties. Steve Stone is the one I come back to because he was he was a bald denier as well, right until the very end. He he kept <laughs> that monk's ring right until the very end, clinging uh, on for dear life the the um the illusion of hair, and then eventually just gave up, got the bick out, and just took it all off. And he became a better player when he did that. Just you know, as we as you do, you know, as on your Twitter profile before, I'm gonna look at the work that you guys do at Total Saints Pod. And on your Twitter profile, there's a lovely photo of yourself and, and Ralph Hassenhutel. Um, <laughs> I believe you got to speak to him at the end of last season. Um, what what what's he like as a fella? Yeah, I, I did. I managed to get a chance to have a, a chat to him just before the last game of the season against Huddersfield. Um, he's quite an imposing character, I think. Um, like most football managers and most footballers in this day and age, Matt, he's got a, an air of arrogance about him, I think. You know, someone that's obviously uh, worked hard to get his opportunity in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, nice enough to talk to, gave some honest answers. And uh, I think probably all of us, are, including him, slightly disappointed on where we are now compared to where we thought we might be when we did that interview. It, it seems to me, you know, obviously much more in tune with the Southampton fan base and, and psyche of your supporters, but it, it seems to me from, from the outside that there is quite a lot of sympathy with him here. And, I, you know, obviously, I think in most managers' cases, if their team had been beaten 9-0 and you had such a poor start to the campaign, there would be calls for, for his head and calls for, for change pretty quickly. But he still seems to retain quite a lot of faith from the fan base. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think the thing as Saints fans at the moment, Matt, is that We've had four managers in the last sort of three years, you know, Claude Puel, Pellegrino, Mark Hughes, and then obviously uh, Ralph. So I think to change another manager, you, you know, just it's it's one step forward, two steps back. And I think, you know, the problem that we've got is that all of these managers have been working with largely the same group of players. There hasn't been the overhaul that we've needed the last 12, 24 months. So 
You've got players that either aren't good enough for the Premier League. You've got ones that are keen to get out of the club because obviously we've been struggling for a couple of years. And then you've got some that are both. Um, so I think, you know, it's easier to get rid of managers in this day and age. And of course, you guys will know you've, you've again had a few the last couple of seasons. But uh, there, there comes a point where you realise that it's not always the managers that are causing the problems. There's There's been a lot of board room upheaval as well. We've seen the likes of Les Reed, Ross Wilson, people like that, Ralph Kruger move on as well. So you need some stability at a football club if you're going to start pulling in the right direction. And I think whilst it's easy to point the finger of blame at the manager all the time, you know, I think we're all intelligent enough to realise that there's often other factors as well. Did you look at, you know, you mentioned there about some of the people that have gone in the hierarchy of the football club away from the pitch and do you feel as though Southampton have, have lost a bit of identity over the last few years? You know, the, the club were renowned for bringing in players. Most of them ended up at Liverpool, obviously, but lads going through <laughs> the, the the academy and, and all that kind of thing. And it just seemed like everybody was pulling in the same direction and really smart decisions were being made in regards to players coming in, in regards to managers, in regards to style of football. And it just feels as though all facets of, of those things I mentioned there have broke down a little bit over the last few years. Yeah, it's hard to know whether there was um, science behind it or whether it was a bit more luck than judgment. I think probably maybe a bit of both. Um, as you say, in terms of when we had Ronald Koeman, um, we sold some of our players, Lolana, Lovren, players like that to Liverpool and invested that money really wisely in the likes of Pella and Sadio Mane and Dusan Tadic, people like that, that obviously did really, really well and have gone on to Virgil van Dijk, of course, have gone on to bigger and better things than Saints. But I think the problem is, you know, since we sold Van Dijk a couple of winters ago, we've invested that money in players that are now effectively out on loan. So the likes of Guido Carrillo, Mario Lamina, Wesley Hoyt, they're players that just haven't hit, hit the ground and haven't delivered the same quality in the Premier League. So we are left with um, a squad that is fairly lacking in both belief, but also technical ability as well. And as you say, I mean, there's been a, a famous philosophy over the years about the Saints Academy, Matt, and we're struggling to see many players coming through now into the uh, into the first team uh, picture. So when you're not bringing in the right talent from overseas, but you're also not pushing through your academy pipeline, you kind of wonder what the model is. And we've, we've changed owner as well. So Mr. Gow's obviously come in the last 18 months and no one is really aware of what his plan is, what his strategy is. So at the moment, we kind of feel like we're drifting, I think, as a football club. And as, as the results are shown, we're kind of drifting in the wrong direction. Lads, I want to ask each of you a question. I just just want a yes or no answer first. Matt, is it too early for Christmas? Decorations. I'll answer the question. Say the question properly. Oh, I've got mixed feelings on this, but I'm probably going to say yes. Matt, yes. Too, uh, yeah, Jack. Yeah. So is it not fair game past bonfire night now? I right. love the Christmas coffees. Yeah. So you know they could just do them all year round, and I'd be happy with that. So I'm glad they're back on the scene. Yeah. But the rest of it, like decorations, can hang off a bit. I think yeah, I'm all down for the red cups. But I think in terms of full-on decks and lights and everything, I like just first September, first September, sorry, first of December. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Uh, first of December as a cut-off for everything else. I think that's plenty of plenty of time to uh, to go Christmas mad. So yeah, first of December. When did you put your deckies up? You first. put yours up on the first. First, of yeah, December, first, first of December, yeah. yeah, it was the first. Yeah. When did you take them down? Well, was it like seventh of Jan? Yeah, it's around then, isn't it? Yeah. 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 See, I'm a big fan of just getting them down on Boxing Day. Really? Yeah. Oh, my, that's like killing Christmas. No, then, no, it's, it? it's <laughs> done. Once, Christ, once Christmas Day is over, I'm done with it. That's Forget it. it then. Forget it. Yeah, I get, You're on the footy, aren't you? Yeah. It's Boxing so Day. So it's then, like yeah. when it's hanging around past New Year, I can't, I can't be dealing with it. That's mad, though. So yeah, I'll, I'll put them up first of December by all means, but Boxing Day, I want them down. Like Jack said, it's like 
cutting the head off the Christmas tree. <laughs> right, yeah, you've had a good Christmas, <laughs> I'll throw your dinner up the wall. <laughs> that goes, goes in the fridge, any turkey leftovers. Straight off the bin. Christmas, <laughs> Christmas crackers, selection boxes. No, no, come on. Yeah. Tell you, if it's not gone by in the first thing, Boxing Day, get out. So there's no turkey butties or turkey curry on Boxing Day for you. <sighs> Well, yeah, there is like so you're a bit every now. Really, yeah, well, you know, I do. I just, I just don't like having the decorations up that late. It's just not the idea. Not the idea. You just sat around on Christmas night. Taking it go, go, wait, no, waiting for the go, minutes. Yeah, go to the minute past He's just bouncing around, like taking all the tinsel off the tree. Get that skip out. <laughs> <laughs> That's Christmas with the Robertsers. Um, Rob Vere has asked. Also, what is the origin of the word crimbo? Scouse word, it sounds like a board game more than a holiday. Discuss. Uh, Matt, I'm going to come to you as the only Scouser in the room. Um, I don't think it's specifically Scouse, is no. it? No. I think it's a common in York, Yorkshire as well, Lancashire, all over the north, really. Um, but I have no idea about the origin of it. Is it not just, just shortened version yeah. of Christmas? I didn't yeah. even know it was like a parochial, like northern thing. I just thought it was just crimbo just if you want to say it. Christmas if you don't and I didn't think it had anything to do with well, Merseyside I suppose to Rob England is quite parochial isn't it yeah in Rob's yeah. head so does anyone actually say crimbo you're in looking Rio forward Rito? to crimbo no. No. no you wouldn't answer no. him would you be like, it's like why are you talking like that <laughs> off, yeah. I don't know maybe Rob should trial it in um in Texas, yeah, just put on a t-shirt. Happy see Crimbo. It, see how it goes down in Oklahoma City. Yeah, <laughs> Crimbo hugs. <laughs> That's all for this week's roundup show. And just a reminder: if you do want to hear a little bit more from us, it's roughly three ninety nine a month. We do twenty extra hours content. The free stuff you hear on this feed. It's patreon.com slash the blue room extra. Hope you enjoyed the segments from earlier this week, and we'll speak to you again very soon. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network.